In every generation, there are the chosen ones, the fanboys, the observers, the keepers of useless trivia. They alone must stand against the forces of television drama tropes. They are continuous play. Oh, come on. Stake through the heart, a little sunlight. It's like falling off a log. Welcome to Continuous Plays, The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective featuring Brian Thomas. Don't make fun. I work long and hard to get this promise. And Jay Newcastle. Just because this is never going to work, there's no need to be negative. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Welcome to the Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And we're here to talk about Season 3, Episode 14, Bad Girls, written by Douglas Petrie. Buffy and Faith are now under the tutelage of a new watcher, prompt and proper Wesley Wyndham Price. After verifying that he is indeed not evil, Buffy and Faith are sent by the new watcher to find an ancient amulet. After finding it, they cross paths with Balthazar, a demon Wesley has informed them was dead. In order to fight Balthazar, Faith and Buffy break into the sporting goods store, and Faith tries to get Buffy to do things her way, the want-take-have philosophy, if you will. Buffy and Faith are caught by police, but, of course, they use their slayer strength to escape. While hunting Balthazar the next night, and in the thick of a fight, Faith accidentally stakes and kills a human, the deputy mayor. Faith disposes the body and tries to wash the blood off her hands, but when Buffy tries to talk to her about what she has done, Faith tells Buffy that she doesn't care. And that's the premise, basically, of the episode Bad Girls. Uh, Jay, initial thoughts on this episode? Oh, it's fantastic, man. I mean, there's so much that happens in this episode. I mean, it's packed full of stuff, Brian. I'm sort of amazed that they got all of it in the 44-some-odd run minutes that this one goes. I mean... Uh, Douglas Petrie, the you know big-time writer on Buffy, he writes a lot of Faith's stuff in particular. And he's dealt a hand here where he's got to really completely redile- redirect the whole season here. we got to introduce a new watcher. Uh, we get more elaborate demon conspiracy hoaxes. We get more about the mayor. We get a lot of Faith. We get this rebellion thing. They kill a person. I mean, there's a lot that goes on in this one, man. I mean, this is a dense, dense episode. Yeah, it's packed full of a lot of stuff going on. And uh, it's it, it's kind of cool. They they go in a couple separate ways here. They, they introduce, obviously, the new Watcher, and they introduce a new dilemma in in the deputy mayor. So before we get going in here, let's let's talk about um you know what what do you think the theme of this episode really is, Jay? Well, you know, there's a lot of ways it can go, Brian, but it's really about the two sides of being a slayer. You know, and in a lot of ways, and Doug Petrie has said this, Faith is like Buffy's evil twin. 
You know, she can do everything Buffy can do, and she has no inhibition as to where Buffy has a lot of morals and really straddles the fence between her old life as just a girl and the life as a slayer in a very precarious but consistent way. I mean, she's always trying to play both of those things off. Faith didn't do any of that. And she turns Buffy onto that. So it's really all about, you know, Buffy trying to, I guess you'd say, get into her dangerous side and all that stuff. And the consequences of just having no inhibitions, of just going with it, that you can't just be this animal of instinct that thinks you're above everything else. Because even as the Slayers, they still have to follow the rules. At least that's what Buffy thinks, but it's clearly not what Faith wants. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I, and I, I kind of like that dynamic too, you know, the, the morality of Buffy versus the, you know, pow- it's almost like a power-hungry Faith, you know. She, she, she gets the power, she likes the power, and she uses the power. And she's consumed by the power, I would say too. So uh, I, uh, I, I would, I would, I would hearken back to what our old friend Angel said that passion will swallow you up. And I think Faith is completely consumed by her passion of being a slayer. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Uh, um, let's go into some of the new characters. We get a, we get a couple here. Uh, obviously, uh, let's let's first start with Balthazar because uh, he's. Probably the least important of this, the the fat the fat tub of goo. Yeah, in the, I mean, uh, honestly, in the big pool. I mean, that was look. Did the did the bizarre demon have a kid <laughs> or a brother? Because that's all I thought. I mean, every time I see this, I'm like, inconvenient plot device. That's all that one is. There, I get the only cool thing about this one is when he's disposed of what he says. Yeah, because you know, he's kind I of agree. foreshadowing. But other than that, he's just there to kind of drive the events along yeah he's just really weird obviously we got um, metcalf coming back to play this character and he was obviously the master in season one but th- this demon he's he's it's this overweight tub of lard sitting in a a tub of of liquid and uh, he has to constantly be uh ladled with this liquid to keep him alive or whatever from shriveling up but he kills people with his belly button is that what you got? That's what it looked like. Uh, no, to me, Brian, it looked like he was able to like generate magnetic force or whatever, and would bring objects closer to him, and then he just popped their head. Like that was sort of what I got okay. off of it. I, I mean, the gross, you know, gut thing and all that. I mean, it, it was just it was just supposed to be off-putting. I think they stuck it in there because they hadn't had a really gross demon yet, and they felt like <laughs> they needed one. Maybe I don't know. I it was it was really gross and. Uh, you know, I'll tell you though, I didn't for years. I didn't know that was Mark Metcalf. You know, I didn't bother to look it up. You know, but it is kind of cool that they're able to to get him back in. And I think it's in the eyes you can tell it if you watch close enough that that's him. But it's it's pretty oh, cool. I, I, I mean, recognized it's a neat him little, right away. Yeah. Oh really? I never. I didn't initially. You know, many years ago, it was only up until you know, maybe a couple of years ago that I learned that. So it was. Uh, but again, it was it wasn't anybody I paid any real attention to. I just thought. And he's just the tub of goo that's going to get burned up or electrocuted or drowned in his own, you know, 
whatever he's in there. I always took that they were ladling the water on him to keep him cool. Yeah, I know. You know, for some reason he had been damaged and maybe he was hot. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's real gross <laughs> and uh, it's kind of weird. But I do like the fact that he gets really pissed off when, like, the minion's attack isn't working and everybody's rebelling. He's like, unacceptable! Right. I, did, I did get a chuckle out of that. Yeah, and but, you, uh, just want, that, you just want to say, well, then get up and do something. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, though, that all those scenes where he's got like the lineup in front of him, I was having flashbacks to the master and all the goons that he would have. <laughs> you know, it it will your death will bring me no uh, no uh, small uh, joy, but sometimes a little joy is all you need. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's exactly what I thought. And uh, other than that, I got not much on Balthazar, man. Now you did mention one key thing here too, and, and that's the fact that. Uh, when when Angel or he's trying to kill Angel, but and basically has him pretty much there until Buffy realizes he's sitting in a tub of water or whatever it is, water, liquid, whatever, and she pulls down some power cords and, and electrocutes him. Before he eventually passes, he does give the warning. He 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 says, "When he rises, you'll wish that I'd kill you." And, and, and I yeah. think that's fascinating and it's a good foreshadow, like you, you mentioned here towards what's going to happen later. And we get a little bit of that in this episode too, as to kind of what he's referring to, but we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. The other big character that we get introduced into is a huge character for the Buffy and Angel universe. And that is the debut of Wesley Wyndham Price, the new watcher for Buffy. I don't think he's the watcher for Faith. He's the watcher for Buffy. Hmm. I kind of took it that he was the watcher of both because the way he acted about around her when she came in was, oh, you must be Faith. Like he was there to maybe rein them both in. I don't know. That's a good point because you wonder what the council knows or thinks about Faith if they're content just to let her go out there. Because you're right, he does spend more time trying to get you know, on Buffy's end of things, but he, he commands both of them, you know, to well, no he, avail really, but, he commands, but I always took him as he was just the new watcher. Yeah. He commands Buffy. He doesn't really command faith. Faith is just there a lot of times. And he just asks her to go with, I don't think he actually ever gives faith a direct order. Hmm. So, I, I mean, I don't think he's there as faith's watcher. I think he's there as Buffy's watcher and they haven't really done much with faith yet or know what to do with her. Hmm, I don't, I don't know. I, I've always took it as he was just the new watcher over both of them, but clearly only only Buffy is, you know, even going to entertain the idea that he's in charge, and even that she's she's not. I mean, she blatantly rebels against him, but not the same way Faith does. You know, Faith <laughs> basically says, screw that, and walks yeah. out, and Buffy's just like, oh, I'll be the responsible kid, even though I don't want to, but I, my dad, you know, it's like the two dads, you know, uh, Wesley is the new dad, and and old dad's still there, and Buffy's clearly with with old dad. Yeah, you know? and and I, you know, the, my favorite thing about Wesley when they bring him in the show is he's so sniveling, and he's so much like a. Well, I'll tell you, you know, having heard this in a lot of different places and commentaries and reading it and stuff, I've never been able to get out of my head. He's supposed to be like George Stephanopoulos, you know, this really overeducated, young, enthusiastic well-versed guy who's brought in with the heavyweights, you know, and Giles, on the other hand, has all the book knowledge plus all the battle-tested knowledge, and he just has zero tolerance for Wesley's 
bookishness, you know, and, and Wesley's throwing out all this, you know, that he's, I've been with a, you know, two vampires in controlled situations, and Giles is like, you're not going to get any of that, you know, and I liked the fact that they gave somebody for Giles to play off of that was an adult, you know, because they, the only thing they really gave him before was was Jenny, right, and since then, it's been the awkward encounter with Buffy's mom, so I like Wesley's play with Giles as much as anything when he's first introduced on the show. What I like, uh, we get introduced to a couple things here with Wesley Wyndham Price, Jay, and that is, uh, well, he, he shows what a watcher is supposed to do, keeps journals. And, you know, up until this point, did you know that Giles kept a journal? Yeah, he referenced it a couple of times. I had no clue about, about it. it. I, had, I had never really caught on that he kept a journal. But then where there's Wesley reading through his journal, which I, th- I found fascinating. I actually chuckled when he pulled out a journal and started writing things. I thought it was funny. And then I found out that Giles had one, too. It just seemed kind of odd. Uh, you know, the, the good thing about uh, Wesley is he is able to identify certain things a little quicker because of his book smarts and training. He identifies the swords that were seen by, by Buffy uh, the, the uh, night before on a patrol and knows immediately what, what they were. Now, here's what kills me. They call this little group the Illuminati. Is this a, a harken back to the religious Illuminati that uh, is part of the Dan Brown uh, circa here? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I mean, clearly these, I don't think it's far fetched to believe that the personal and political beliefs of the crafters of this show creep their way in from time to time, especially when they need a cool sounding name. Uh, and, and sometimes I think that it just comes down to that, that they, they think, Ooh, let's work that name in there. Cause it just sounds like, you know, somewhat a group that would have been long time devoted to a cause or something, you know, like sure. I, I didn't really ever think of it much more beyond that, like the whole conspiracy theory bit and all that stuff. You know, it's more prevalent, I guess, in pop culture, maybe now than it was when the, oh, the show easily, was on. Yeah, easily. But, but, but it, it, I don't think you're wrong either. That's probably where that, you know, came from. But, uh, I, I didn't give it, I didn't give it a lot of thought. Honestly, I, I was more curious as to how he knows that. Like, I kept waiting for them to reveal that Wesley was the one that had, you know, <laughs> been in battle with this guy or something. But I thought, now that would have been really lame if they had done that because it would have undermined all the snively. Yeah, I just think that they meant to to use it to show that uh, he's more of the the book read, the book smart guy. He's not the street smart guy. Giles is the street smart guy. He comes from the magical background. He's seen the mystical realm before he became a watcher. And Wesley is the book smart guy. He's the one who's read everything that there is to read on, you know, the mystical realm. And so he knows these things and oh, pops right into his head when he hears about it. Oh yeah, I read about this. You know, that's kind of what, what, what he was, uh, it was showing that he was, I, I think. But I like too that, uh, uh, when he sends the girls out to get the amulet and, and Giles is a little bit worried because Buffy hasn't returned yet. The first thing he says is, Oh, don't worry. I have my mission scenario stating they'll be back in about one minute. No problem. I love that he's got this whole thing planned out to the minute too. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's just, you know, again, it's the contrast of things. Giles has been there and has seen Buffy work and knows the kind of the dirty job that being a slayer is. And Wesley knows what the textbook version yes. of being a slayer is. And that's clearly the difference. It is. And it's a, it's a cool difference because it's a, it's a total 180 from what we're used to. And it's interesting to see how that plays in with the characters that well, we have here. I'll say this too, though. 
the way it's played, and this is no knock on the actors or anything like that, but the way it's all played is you can tell Wesley is supposed to be seen as a joke. And sure. Giles is the one that we're supposed to follow and pay attention to. And clearly that's who Buffy still listens to and pays attention to. She doesn't give Wesley any regard at all. And it, even though he's not wrong, I mean, he actually was useful yeah, yeah. in some of the information, but she still gives him nothing. Yeah, and no. And I think that that's clearly, it's just a line that's being drawn that Buffy's like, you know, look, you're not just going to step in and replace Giles. I don't care what. You know, well, and I think too that it's more—it's more not—it's not necessarily that it's more about the fact that Buffy is pulling away from the Watchers Council, and they can send whoever they want, but she's going to do it her way. They can't change that, and I think that's more of where it's leading to, and it with the whole Giles being fired and her telling them to basically f off. Uh, now sending a new watcher and she's just like, you know, whatever. I'll play by your rules here and there, but you're not the boss of me. I'm still going to talk to Giles. And she does throughout the episode, of course. I also like with Wesley is that, you know, every way, every time he turns around, it seems like someone else knows what's going on and it totally baffles him. And I, I think that's kind of a cool thing too, because he's like, he's the same way that Kendra was when Kendra came she couldn't believe that all these people knew who Buffy was and, and what, what was going on in, in Sunnydale. And then, uh, that Wesley's the same way. He shows up and, and he's trying to come up with excuses for what they're doing and they're, they're ignoring him and just t- saying flat out what's going on. And it just confuses the crap out of him. Isn't that the whole metaphor of authority figures, though, Brian, that the whole season's really about, is that they really oftentimes don't really know what's going on on the ground level? You know, the council has no idea how Buffy operates. I mean, they only got a glimpse at it in the you know the last few episodes, right? So they they don't know how she does things, and they're learning too. So, and Wesley wouldn't have any knowledge of that, you know? And now that he's got Giles, you know, now that he has Giles's journals and stuff, he'll learn all of it. But I'm with you. I he was he seemed to just be blown away by like who who the hell else knows? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's great. And it'll it's keep like, going like that too. And lastly, for yeah. for for Wesley, we find out that uh, he has no backbone at this point. Nothing. I mean, they he caves the instant he's being told that his kneecaps are going to get busted up by uh, the by Bathazor and his his. Uh, horde of demons uh he caves and giles is just completely blown away by this and, and and disgusted that being a watcher should mean that you don't give up your information it's like being a soldier right you you, you give him your name your rank and your serial number and that's it and wesley wouldn't stand a, a minute under torture or anything <laughs> well, be, beyond that it's it's what it means to be a commanding officer you know, that's who Giles is supposed to be as the general, right? And you don't give anything up, much less give up your troops or give up one of your confidants or something like that. I mean, you know, essentially Wesley's ratting out Angel yeah. there. But he and, doesn't even know Angel's name, he, which is hilarious. Yeah, he doesn't know his name, but he's trying to rat him out. And Giles is just like, you idiot. They're going to kill us anyway. Yeah. And uh, and and I do like the whole Balthazar line there. It's like, there is no deal. You either die slowly or you die quickly. So, and. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's just a big wuss, and it's practically useless when the fighting actually starts. Yeah. That's about it for the new characters here, Jay. Let's get in some of our returning characters. 
let's get into the mayor first here because we we get a, a few things here from him. Couple couple big things. Obviously, the first big thing is that we find out that the mayor knows about the slayers and wants them to be exterminated for the most part. You know, he wants them out of the way because he's got this big thing he's calling the dedication coming up, which he's finally he's finally being put into the position that this is our guy. He's our big bad for this season. And we finally get to know that. Yeah. And I mean, he goes through some extreme lengths to, to reveal that it's, he obtains invincibility right before the PAT meeting and a haircut. I might have had on his little <laughs> checkoff list, but he also shows that he's completely undaunted by the fact that Balthazar's demons are after him. And I think there's a dropped line by Balthazar in there that his enemy crippled him a hundred years ago. And I, I don't know how you took that, Brian. I took that to mean he's talking about the mayor and that the mayor knew that would be a threat to him. And so he, you know, try to take him out or whatever. And that's what those, that group of demons is there to do to restore their demon leader and to take out the mayor. Cause they know what he's up to. I, I'm glad they finally revealed it though. Cause I mean, Brian, we're 14 episodes into a 22 episode season and we don't know who the big bad is. That's, I mean, we're past the halfway mark and then we get it. And I guess we could have, we, we've kind of known for a while he was going to be a part of it, but now to have it spelled out, not in all specifics, but that, you know, it's the mayor and that he's going to, do something that he's trying to attain something in the next hundred days that that gives you a time clock and then you know everything is going to start moving i like that yeah i like your your allusion too for the fact that he may be was balthasar's uh enemy i think that's interesting and we'll get back to that later in this season because i think that uh it will be revealed that that could very well be the case later on as we move on but what i really like about the mayor in this episode is he's just and what i liked about him all season he's just so nonchalant he's reading the family circus comics right at the beginning of this episode uh he goes on they capture one of the the uh, leaders of Balthazar's group uh vincent who uh, i'm guessing is his lead warrior um, who's out to uh, kill the mayor and they capture him. And once this dedication piece does finally take place, he just sits back and says, all right, let's see if this worked and unleash the demon on him. Demon comes at him and cuts him in the head with a sword. And oh, lo and behold, it worked because head goes right back together and nothing can kill the mayor. That's the, the big deal right now as we move in later in the se- into the episodes coming in the season is that the mayor is now invincible no one nothing can kill him for the next 100 days well he's i mean that's a shot straight out of terminator 2 by the way too with the head splitting in half like that and it, it looks boy it looks bad now it's one effect that just ugh, you know it doesn't hold up real well but Thank goodness it's not on screen very long. I did like it though. It was cause I had no idea what he was doing. I, I, I mean, like, what's the pentagram and all the chanting and then the little, I mean, the, where's Alan? He's usually so prompt, you know, and all that junk. And then the the vampire demon thing with the sword that's dressed like a medieval knight. I, that baffles me. Mm-hmm. Comes after him and cuts him in half, and then it, it's no big deal. And of course, he gets staked by Mister Trick, and that's it. And then it's like, hey, who's on for root beer? Yeah, you know, it's it's I, the same kind of. It's like this. He's like Ward Cleaver. Yeah, but there, yeah. it's a good good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that about him. I think it's kind of fun. It's it's not something you'd expect from someone who's evil. He's just like, eh, let's let's party. Let's have a good time. 
Yeah, I, I'm just glad they finally get him. I mean, they put the focus on him. You know, he is the one that we're going to have to watch out for. And I'm curious to know if I'm watching this the first time, what the heck the ascension is. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And that that's uh, that's I think the the morsel that you're supposed to take out of this, as far as the mayor goes, is we need to pay attention to what this ascension piece is because it's not only mentioned by uh, the mayor himself, but it's also kind of alluded to by Balthazar in his death as well. So when he rises, so there we. Go. That's a key factor to keep in this one. Uh, the deputy mayor, we might as well touch on him because he plays a very important role, even though it's a very small role in this. And that is that it looks like he's out to reach out to the Slayers. I think he may be having second thoughts about his job with the mayor and what the mayor is doing. And he may be looking to reach out to the Slayers because he's out as they're fighting off a, a, a a bunch of vampires outside of Balthazar's lair and he gets in the crossfire when he reaches for Buffy as she's passing him by and he, she puts him down and faith immediately goes to stake. And before Buffy can stop her, she stakes him and realizes that this is not a demon. This is a human being that she's just staked. Well, there's a whole, there's a whole tandem of things that happens there, Brian, because the reverse happens just before that. You know, uh, Faith grabs a vampire and throws him against the wall. Buffy runs over, stakes him, boom, dust. You know, so they're tag team, right. right? And then just like in, you know, tag team matches we've seen, you hit the wrong guy. You know, that's always a turn in the tag team matches. Well, that's what they do here. Now, you bring up an interesting point about um, the Deputy Mayor Finch that he might be reaching out to them. You know, I think the mayor drops that line and stuff. I have never, ever, ever thought that that was what he was doing out there. I thought he was trying to just attack them, mm-hmm. get them killed. He was part of what was organizing those attacks. I don't know. I mean, you yeah. can read it either way, and I think it's fine either way, but I never took it as he was reaching out because he might not be, and maybe he's done, not done anything outwardly evil yet, but clearly he's down with it. You know, well, because he's been with the mayor for a long time. See, and I don't know that he is. I think, I don't know that he really knew the full extent of it. And I don't know how long he's actually been there with the mayor. He seems like he's fairly new on the job because he's so nervous all the time when he's around the mayor. And that's one of the clues that I think what for it is, is he, he seems uh, nervous and, and a little bit frightened all the time and worried look on his face a lot. And, you know, I don't think that he, based on what we've seen of him and his personality i don't think there's any chance that he was out there to attack the slayers i think the only reason for him to be out there and i've read this from the beginning when i watched the show was that he was reaching out to them and the mayor does call it out in the next episode that he's wonders if that may have been the case as well and i I really honestly think it was i think he was coming out there to kind of give them a heads up on what maybe was going on or to ask them for protection uh, I don't know, but I think that's what his intent was, and that's how I've always read it. Let me ask you this, though, Brian. How about the way that he's killed and stuff and sort of the – I've always thought that they played that exactly right. Everything is moving at fast forward at this point in the episode, and when he gets staked, they linger on it. I mean, he doesn't just drop. Yeah. He sits there and gurgles and gasps and dies slowly and i liked that i thought it was a smart choice in the direction and it it really it brought everything to a just a shuddering halt and it's also the moment where buffy completely wakes up we'll talk about that when we get around to her but i mean how did you think about his death like the way they lingered on it i thought it was great and I, i i thought the expression on his face the shock and again that ties into the fact that i think that 
he was there to ask them help or give them information because of the look of shock on his face when he realizes he's been you know fatally wounded and, but i really i think they did it great i like buffy's expressions her fear her worry and face like shock and wonder you you could tell she was wondering what the hell she needed to do to get out of this now because that was the look that she had on her face i think they did a fantastic job with it i, I like that it was in the middle of a fast-paced fight scene that was going on they were trying to get away with their lives and it just happened and also i i figured that this was something that had to come up at some point in this series because you know there's always going to be an accident at some point you can't always guess right well we've already seen this right remember ted wasn't that the quandary of Ted? You yeah. know, uh, Giles tells Buffy, this has happened before, Buffy. You know, humans get in the middle of things with Slayers, and sometimes it's not good. Yeah, and, and he'll end up telling her that again, too. But, uh, yeah, I think they did a fantastic job with it. I thought it was just absolutely perfectly done. And you really were... I mean, your heart skipped a beat when it happened. I know, I might, I know mine did when I watched it. It was just like, oh, my God. What just happened and how is this going to, what's going to happen now to these girls and how is this going to be taken care of? And so it, it was an intriguing twist. Let's move away then before we get into Faith and Buffy, because essentially that's what this episode is about. Let's move on to Giles. There's nothing to talk about the rest of the core. Um, I have a couple things on, on the gang, but nothing major that is worth even talking about other than Willow had been given early admission, uh, any college she really wants to, that's about it. Let's move into Giles because he's kind of an important character here too. He's no longer Buffy's watcher, but Buffy still looks at him as the leader of the group as far as uh, her watcher would go. And when Wesley shows up, Buffy is just like not even interested. She's still acting like Giles is, is the, the guy to go to. He has some interesting stuff in this episode. You know, basically... He's allowing Wesley uh, the ability to be the Watcher uh, reluctantly, but still sitting back and letting him give it a shot because he, I think he gets a kick out of it because he knows that Buffy isn't going to stand for what he's trying to do. And I think that he secretly is enjoying that. He likes watching him fall on his face. I mean, I think it's just humor if more than anything Giles is like well if I'm going to be pushed out of my old job at least I can watch the guy that's trying to replace me completely screw it up <laughs> and uh, yeah I mean it's funny it's it's cool I like that I said before that I like the way that they gave somebody adult for Giles to play off of even though Wesley's you know rather young he's still in the same job title as Giles okay we can at least say that and I like they gave him somebody to do and I like how he sort of adopted this he's still the watcher, he's still the confidant, but he's it looks like he's sort of come to terms and Buffy has almost silently too, that yes, I do love you like your father, yes, I do love you like you're my dad. Okay. And then they move forward, they just work together, you know? Like I like that they have a shorthand that Wesley's not in on and it bugs him. That that's really cool. And Giles just keeps putting it in his face too. And it, especially when right before they get caught, he's like, you know, you can keep your snide remarks to yourself and he's like, I'm on top of this situation. He said, Really? And then there's all the demons there waiting to get him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. exactly guess you're on top of it now uh it's fun to watch giles in this episode because you can tell that he wants to take the leader position on everything but he knows that he needs to let the other watcher do that because that's 
how he's been trained to handle these things. And so it's fun to watch. And also, like we mentioned before, when Wesley can't handle any of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the thought of being beaten by these demons, Giles is the one to kind of like say, snap out of it, dude. Get a grip. We need to be strong here. You know, what is your well, problem? Can, can I throw something at you, Brian? If you want to think back to season one, early on in season one in particular, Giles didn't act that different than Wesley. It's I think the fact that Buffy in particular has really, you know, worn off on him that he's learned all this adaptability. You know, this this isn't who he was when we met him in those first few episodes. He was Mr. Bookish guy too, right? For most of the first season. It's really ever since his unfortunate torturing at the hands of Angelus that he's you know, embrace the darker side that he indeed has. You know, I, I kind of like that. I thought it was cool. I would push it back before the Angelus part to Halloween when we first really got it. When when Ripper had to come out for the first time, I think that's when he said, all right, you see me at my worst. Now I have to be that kind I mean, of person. Are, are, are you talking about Halloween or a lot of me? Halloween when, uh, when, uh, when Ethan Rain comes to town. Oh, the first time he comes down. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jay, let's move to the point of this episode, which is really Buffy, Faith, the differences between the two, and Faith's attempt to really pull Buffy into her world as a Slayer and to teach her all of the good things about being a Slayer and the fact that you can do whatever you want is, is what how she puts it. And, and that's really the struggle that Buffy is going through in, in this whole episode is that faith is the free Lance, you know, let it all out. I'll do what I want because nobody's going to stop me person. And Buffy's not that type, but faith is trying to get her to be that type. And we get it right off the bat when faith is and, and Buffy are fighting in the graveyard and faith is trying to get Buffy to admit that she's slept with Xander, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, I think she's just looking for some comparison. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, or maybe she's feeling kind of upset about the fact that she did sleep with him. You know, the first thing I thought when I when when we started this episode is, man, it's really good to see Faith again because she's kind of been missing. You know, aside from the little foray she had with Xander in the Zeppo episode, she's kind of been aloof this season so far. She comes and goes. I, I think that's the nature of faith. I think, I, and I like that personally, Brian. I think if they had tried to shoehorn into her into some of this other stuff that she was not a part of, because so much of this season has been about stuff that happened last year and the year before. You know, I mean, it, it really has. And I, I like the fact that they've just peppered her in here and there. But then when we get her in an episode, you get a lot of her. I don't think Faith's that hard to understand. I mean, she's pretty much an open book, right? So that and the, because of that, if you put her in there all the time, it would be like trying to force any character into the episode when they don't really fit. You know what I mean? And it's a wise choice by the writers and the, the showrunners to not feel like we got to get everybody in there you know you you do the throwaway scenes you know uh, oz is still here cordelia still here xander's still here willow's still here now it's all about these other people you know what i mean and i was cool with that i like the fact that faith is so irreverent and and buffy is so and you know the thing is is buffy is not exactly prim and proper you know but compared to faith I mean, she's a little Miss Goody Two-Shoes. And the way they even dress them. Buffy's so conservative. And Faith is dressed like, 
you know, tank tops and tight shirts and leather and dark makeup. And I mean, she's always trying to look like a stripper, you know, and Buffy looks like she could be your English teacher. <laughs> That's a good point. I like the difference between the two and it comes to head here. And I like that a lot. You know, Faith puts it all out there. You know, she loves being a slayer. She loves killing vamps. She's all about the kill. Doesn't think about what gets in the way. She doesn't care about what gets in the way. Mm. It's all about the kill for her. And she's trying to convince Buffy that this is the right way to be. You're a slayer. This is your job. This is what you do. And hey, Buffy admits to it. Like she gets Buffy to admit that hey, there's a thrill in killing a vampire, you know. Mm-hmm. And Buffy's like, "Nah, I don't really enjoy it." And she's like, "Oh, I know better." You know, when you get one and you kill one, you just want some more. I've seen it on your face. And Buffy starts to kind of, yeah, you know, like she what? doesn't want to admit that that animal root power thing is in her. You know, she's yeah. still kind of trying to squelch it a little bit. Faith is totally in love with that part of it. And that's the difference. And that's that's why it's a good analogy to say that she's Buffy's evil twin. You know, she's Buffy with no inhibition. Yeah, and what I like about this episode too is that, you know, Faith keeps trying to convince her. It's all about this. It's all about this. We love it. You got to enjoy the slaying. You, I know you do. And, you know, when they get done slaying a bunch of, of vamps, Faith says, you got hey, you know, come on. You tell me you didn't get off on that. And Buffy's reply was, well, it didn't suck. And, and, and so Faith keeps trying to do things and, and they're going in and they're, she's pulling, uh, Buffy out of school during a test, which I think is hilarious, to go kill a bunch of vamps that she found in a nest. You know, vamps are just sleeping the day away and they barge in and boom, they go after these. Now, what I got out of this is that because of Faith, Buffy is now uh, becoming addicted to slaying. Did you get that sense? I don't know. I think Buffy has just given into the rush. I think Faith's right that there is a rush to slaying and that when you just stop caring about all the other little things you care about, Buffy, and you just give into that rush, you just become this free spirit. We've seen this before, Brian. We've seen this in the show before. When Buffy just kind of drops everything else and just focuses on herself and you know what the Slayer is all about and stuff, when she came back after season one and the beginning of season two, she was kind of the wild child for a little bit there. You know, one episode. Sure. But that's it's the it's the same kind of thing, and I think that's what Faith is sort of unlocking in her. She's turning her own to it, and I think deep down in places she don't talk about at parties, Buffy likes that. I agree with you, but here's what what I'm basing this on is that is that uh, she's she's cutting class to go slaying, to be with Faith. She's skipping out on her friends to go be with Faith and slay vampires. To me, that's more like an addiction. When you're addicted to something, you just put everything else aside and do whatever you can to do that drug or whatever else. And that's why I think that Faith has gotten her a little bit addicted to going out and just slaughtering vampires now. Well, Brian, that that's a good point you're making there, but... It all comes to a screeching halt when when the deputy mayor gets killed, you know. And I think you see that on Buffy's face, like, "Oh crap! What have, what have we done?" You know. And I mean, it's a it's a you know break slamming moment. And you know, I've read some criticisms of that that people thought that was kind of false. I I thought it was real natural. I mean, I thought that's what Buffy should do. That's what Buffy would do. She would try to do the responsible thing. Do you? Agree? I absolutely agree. I think that is that is what her reaction would be. And she had the same reaction when when she did it to Ted. I mean, if you go back and watch after she drops Ted down the stairs and he looks like he's dead, she has the same reaction. Like she couldn't 
believe what she did. And I think it's a, a genuine reaction that Buffy has here when she realizes what has just been done. And, and it, it both scares her out of what she's been doing and, you know, freaks her out. Yeah, it does. And I mean, she bumps into Angel right after that. And she's trying to, at first, she's trying to hide it too. Like she doesn't know what to do. You know, that's the thing is Buffy's, she realizes this is trouble. And what should we do? You know, and I think she wants to do the right thing. And she's still being influenced by faith to know we can't tell them. This is what happens, you know, and all this stuff. And I, I liked the, the contrast in the reactions. And even when she goes to see Faith, and Faith is trying to wash the blood out of her clothes, you know, because that's, that's Faith's way of sort of putting it away. You know, we learn that she's disposed of the body, and she's trying to wash the blood off her hands. And that's, you know, Buffy, on the other hand, is, I mean, she's very much dealing with it. And I know, and has been there. You know, we talked about the Ted thing. I mean, she's been there with this, and she's trying to get Faith to come around. And I love how, you know, Faith had no trouble well, no, had very little trouble convincing Buffy to do things Faith's way, right? Buffy cannot convince Faith to do things the Buffy way. Did, did you like that? I thought that was a neat contrast. I do, and it, and it makes sense because you know Buffy is all about facing the consequences, and Faith wants nothing to do with the consequences. She just wants it her way no matter what, and you just better accept that because, hey, I'm the slayer. But- you know, I, well, I don't. I don't think faith sees consequences. Well, this is just I, collateral damage. Yes, I, that's how faith sees this whole thing. Is it's collateral I, damage? I think that she wants to see it that way, Jay. But if you remember, she does go back after they've run off, and and you can see that she's looking at what she's done, and realizing that what she did was completely wrong. She doesn't want to face that fact, but she is. When she goes back to look at the deputy mayor's body and, and really before she gets rid of it, I think there's that sense of remorse in, in her eye as she's there. But she throws it out quickly and decides that it's, it has well, nothing to, of value to her. Well, to go with your addiction metaphor, for to follow that, she sees the damage that her addiction can have on others and it, it hurts her. But ultimately, she's still so addicted to it, she can't let it go. So yes, she's got to cover. I it agree. Up. I mean, if we're to, if we're to follow that, then 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 I think that's a, a true reaction. But I still think, ultimately, faith boils this down to, you know what, stuff happens. We're the slayers. We're above the law. I mean, she even says that, and that and that's her whole thing. And I'll tell you the the, I mean, the killer. And the first time I saw it, it blew me away. It still blows me away to this day. I've seen this episode, you know, a hundred times probably. And it still blows me away. When Buffy does that whole bit about, you don't understand, you killed a man. And she's like, no, you don't understand. I don't yeah. care. And it's not like, not a mean I don't care. It's a, I don't care. And I, it just floors me. It's cold. It's cold. So. It's very cold. And I, I'll tell you this too. They do that shot right after there where they linger on Buffy's reaction. And I've often wondered what would it feel like if they just cut to black immediately after Faith said that. I think we maybe needed Buffy's reaction to mm-hmm. it, but I'll, I've often wondered, well, what would that be like if, boom, they cut to black right, as she, right after she says that? That would be even colder. That would, and I'm glad that they didn't do that because we, you're right. We needed to see Buffy's reaction to that before they, they ended the episode, and I'm glad that they did it that way because we need to know that Buffy, Buffy has a sense of duty to, to report what has been done. But she also has a very, um, she, she has a very, uh, she has a loyalty to her friends and she doesn't want to betray that as well. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, D- Buffy is grounded in a morality that Faith does not accept. And that's the difference between them, is that ultimately, even though Buffy can do the things and can act like Faith, she can't be what Faith is. And, and she comes to that realization in a very harsh way in this episode. But as we'll see in coming episodes, it, it's not like she just totally writes Faith off. But it's that, that shock. I mean, her look is a, a look of shock and a look of hurt when Faith says that to her. And I, I thought it was great. I mean, it, it was a great way to end the episode. Yeah. Well, Jay, we are at the point now in the podcast where we give our dustings rating. And what is your dustings rating for episode 14, Bad Girls? Man, this is a bad four all the way. This is a good as four dustings if as it gets. Jam-packed, full of stuff, interesting characters. Even the goofy demon is fun to watch. And part of that is the performance, too, from, from Metcalf. Everything in this episode works. It's resonant. We're getting somewhere. And, I mean, it's it's starting the snowball to roll downhill to hill. And it's going to be awesome. You can just tell. And so I love this one. Four dustings for me. I agree with you, Jay. This is easily a four dustings episode. There's so much good stuff in here. And like we said, this is a very dense episode. There's a lot that goes on in this episode. And a lot of it sets up what's going to happen for the rest of the season. And I really, really enjoy watching this episode. This is another one where I could watch this as a standalone episode uh, without watching anything leading up to it. And I think it, it does well. Um, but I think you have to watch the next episode with it, though, to kind of put it all together but four dustings all the way great episode all together absolutely and folks we're glad you've joined us again for another episode here of the art of slaying you can find more episode in our archives at continuousplaypodcast.com slash buffy find links to our social media there facebook and twitter you can leave a message in our guest book and hey if you like the show folks leave us a review on itunes let us know what you think about it those itunes reviews those bring other new listeners in i mean this show has grown because our listeners are so awesome and we thank you for your support throw us a review let us know what you think and hey if you disagree with us agree with us Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook or on the guest book on the website. Let us know. We really appreciate your feedback. Until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to The Art of Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios, and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Grr. Arg.